Hello, listener, and welcome to this new episode of Head and Heart, a podcast produced by Probe Ministries. I'll be your host today, Paul Rutherford, and we're going to be talking about climate change and the Green New Deal. Climate change and the Green New Deal. Hot topics, political topics, newsy topics, Mm -hmm. and we're going to be having a conversation with Probe Ministries resident science expert, Dr. Ray Bolin. Ray, good to see you. Glad to be here. Dr. Bowen, I'm glad to have the mm-hmm. conversation with you. Climate change is a topic that you and I have talked about more than once yeah. on this podcast. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a, it's been a major issue for me that I've been following for well over 20, 20 plus years. And early on, uh, I saw a lot of Christian reaction against the whole idea of global warming, which is what it was called at the time. But I was hesitant because so many times Christians are accused of being anti-science. And this could be perceived just as another anti-science perspective. And so I waited, continued to research, looked at the, the data that as was coming out, compared both sides. And now I'm firmly what I would call a uh, climate skeptic. Climate skeptic. Although okay. those who are promoting climate change as what some would call a climate emergency uh, would label me a climate denier. Oh, wow. That seems like inflammatory. Yes, it is. Yes. Well, um, before we go too much farther into this, uh, why don't you introduce yourself briefly for someone who's listening who hasn't hasn't met you before? Okay. Well, I've been with Pro Ministries now since 1975, and so that's uh, 47 years, and had lots of titles over all that time. But primarily, my emphasis has always been in the science area. I graduated from University of Illinois with a bachelor's degree in zoology with a focus on animal ecology. So I've been, Mm. I would call myself an environmentalist for decades. Mm -hmm. And then from there came to probe right after I was finished with college and was able to take a leave of absence to get a master's degree in what I would call evolutionary biology from the University of North Texas. Got it. And uh, although then it was still North Texas State University. North Texas State. I remember that. Yeah. (laughs) Came back to Probe and was part of the university speaking team for several years and then was granted another leave of absence where I went to University of Texas at Dallas where I see, received a master's and PhD in molecular and cell biology. And so that was finished up in 91. And since then, I've continued my work primarily in the evolution area, intelligent design. Uh, but this has always been uh, on my radar very closely and keeping an eye on it. And it's become even more so because of the announcement of this Green New Deal, which came about from Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, AOC. And uh, when she was elected to Congress, I think it was like, what, 2018 or something like I that? I think it's something like 2019, she announced this Green New Deal and basically said the world's going to end in 12 years if we don't address climate change. Yeah. Well, if she's right, then their stakes are yeah. large. Yeah. And so it's worth talking about. That's really put it on the front load for a lot of people, uh, definitely the front burner in many respects. So I've been looking at it even more carefully since then. Great. Well, thanks for introducing mm-hmm. yourself. I love that intro. Um, I'm glad to have you on the podcast. So we're going to do this in two parts, yeah. right, Dr. Boland? Right. We, we talked about this. We're going to have to talk about this in two parts. So today we'll talk about part one, climate change and the Green New Deal. So for part one today, we want to focus on the climate science right. behind the Green New Deal. Mm-hmm. I guess before we do that, do you mind giving us like a quick intro on someone maybe who doesn't even know what the Green New Deal is? Just clarify and define the stakes. Well, the idea behind the Green New Deal is based on this idea that we face a climate emergency. And because of that, we're going to have to take very drastic action 
to cut back on the carbon dioxide emissions, which are said to be the culprit behind climate change and the warming of the planet. And in order to do so, we will likely have to introduce a lot of central planning from the federal government and even to the effect of influencing your your basic choices, what kind of home you live in, how big it is, what kind of AC heating units you, you have associated with your home. Um, even down to basic choices of, I was even talking to somebody the other day that uh, if a lot of this stuff gets put into motion, that I, I prefer to shave in the shower. That would probably be frowned upon and even outlawed because it uses, really? uses too much hot water. I know a lot of guys do that. That's real uses common. Too, uses too much hot water than just shaving at the sink. Wow, okay. <laughs> so. so it sounds like the Green New Deal, based on the concern over the climate emergency, mm-hmm. tries to affect... Sweeping political changes yes. throughout America, which would affect and society economy, changes, yeah. affect society, mm-hmm. affect business, affect even individual personal liberties. So yes, sweeping legislative mm-hmm. change. And again, as someone like AOC might say, it's, it's totally warranted because of the state of right. emergency that our climate is currently mm-hmm. in. Okay, correct. Well, we're talking about climate change and the Green New Deal today with Dr. Ray Bolin, my guest in studio. And so today to talk through these ideas, we want to split the first part into just talking about the science behind mm-hmm. it, right? Mm-hmm. So I guess if I if I got my first question to ask you, it would be, does the climate science, does the evidence of climate science behind the Green New Deal support it? Absolutely not. Is the Is the globe warming? Yes, it is. But it's been warming since what we've called what we call the Little Ice Age back in the 1600s, and it's been warming ever since. And has there been a spike in the rate of warming because of carbon dioxide emissions beginning in the late in the middle 1800s? Perhaps, but there really isn't uh, a lot to suggest that it that has. What I'm going to like to talk about today are just a lot of different global thermostats, if you will, not just temperature, but uh, other kinds of weather events, and today almost any kind of weather disaster is going to be blamed on climate change. And even just recently, there's been a couple of avalanches, I think, in Switzerland that have first one trapped a few hikers and so forth. And, mm. and I saw an article, Just I just read the title, I didn't go any further with it than that, but avalanches in the Alps our consequence of global warming. And, oh, mm. uh, that brought an eye roll. That's the headline. That's the <laughs> well, title. Avalanches happen all the time. That's why if you're going to go hiking up that in a glacier area, to fit. you're given reasons to, what if you hear this, if you hear that, seek to do this, seek to do that. And, well, they happen. Yeah. So. Okay. So when I ask you if the science, the climate science behind the Green New Deal supports the Green New Deal as we've defined it, I heard you say absolutely not. Yeah, that's I right. did hear you say that the... Uh, environment is warming. Yeah, the, the globe is warming. Do you want to talk some more about that? Well, it's it's warmed since about 1900. It's warm maybe uh, one to one and a half degrees Celsius. And if it, if it one degree is going to be about uh, one and a half degrees Fahrenheit. If you go to one and a half degrees uh-huh. Celsius, that's going to be close to two degrees right. Fahrenheit. And all the measurements are done in Celsius, so, and that's just... That's weird for me as an American, but okay. I'm not a scientist. (laughs) The rest of the world uses Celsius. (laughs) And so the question then becomes, what they're trying to avoid, they tell us, is the Earth warming any more than another, say, one and a half degrees Celsius. 
And so all these various meetings, there was one in Scotland a couple of years ago. There was the Paris Climate Accord back in 2015 during the Obama presidency. And all the various developed nations put into writing certain commitments they were going to make to cut back on carbon dioxide emissions and also various help they were going to give to developing countries to help them increase their level of electricity and just energy output, but not with fossil fuels. So only using renewables. And so we were going to have to pay for some of that. Oh, okay. And basically, none of the nations have held their commitments. So we're we're basically seven years past uh, the Paris Climate Accord, and basically nothing's been done. AOC gave her 12-year commitment in, uh, I think, 2019, so we're three years into that. We're already 25% of that time's gone. And I'm not hearing anybody talking about, oh, the world's going to end in in uh, 2034. No. <laughs> I'm just not, just not seeing any of that. I'm not hearing that either. No, no. Well, when you say things like the Earth is warming and we have documentation of it's that it is warming, um, how? I guess my next question is, um, warming since when? Like... That's always a comparative. Statement. Yeah, usually they'll go back to about the year 1900 and only showing uh, increases in temperatures since about that time. Okay. What's convenient for them is not going back another 50, 60, 70 years, or actually going back another 100 years. Okay. To say 1800 or even 1750, because that's when the Little Ice Age, what we refer to as Little Ice Age, began to re- relent. Yeah. And temperatures started warming around 1750, and they've continued to warm. And has there been a little bit of spike over the last, say, 40 years or so? A little bit. But it depends on, again, what kind of temperature record you look at. If you look at ground-based temperatures with thermometers— Yeah, this is a question I had. That increase is a bit more severe than if you look at satellite temperatures. We only started taking the temperature of the lower atmosphere beginning in 1979 using satellites. Okay. And that's going to have none of the effects of what's called, for instance, uh, heat island warming, where you just got cities, lots of concrete, lots of asphalt. Yeah, and like it, we have here in Dallas. It heats here, and it maintains yeah. heat overnight. Just so it's always it. warmer yeah. uh, in the cities. Uh, so you avoid all of that. And temperature increase there has is nothing near what the ground based temperature is. Is that right? Is. See, that sounds like a fantastic method if you really want mm-hmm. to measure. I mean, I'm no environmental scientist, but it does seem like it avoids that. There's difficulty. a lot fewer variables you have to account for. Yeah, the atmosphere is the atmosphere, and, and it's just not going to okay. change all that much. And of course, when you're using satellites, which are only have only been available since what did you say seventy something seventy nine yeah seventy nine which isn't historically speaking not very long no it's not but still what is that what is that data showing us well it shows that there has been uh, an increase in temperature but it's only about one degree Celsius if that and it's just not as severe as the ground based temperature readings have been interesting so <laughs> still an increase so it's the same direction yeah same and, trend but perhaps not as severe. And there was also a unique factor that occurred between about 1998 and about 2015. What was that? Well, in 1998, there was a very strong El Nino effect, which spiked global temperatures by three or four tenths of a degree, just in that one or two years, Mm. okay? And then that temperature was not equaled 
again until we got well past about 2016, 2017. So there was what was called, what was referred to at the time as a pause, nearly almost a 20-year pause with no global warming. What's unusual about that is that the levels of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere continued to increase during all that time. Hmm. And if carbon dioxide is the main culprit as a greenhouse gas to cause the warming, then why did warming stop for almost 15 years? Hmm. Um, there was never an answer to that. Now, there has been a warming since then over the last five to six years. And what you will hear is that they'll say something like, Six or seven of the warmest years on record have occurred in the last seven or eight years. Be very careful with what they say. When it says on record, that only goes back to the time when we had, we developed thermometers. So the, only, the record only goes back to the mid-1800s. Uh, I see. So a couple centuries. You see, not even that, not even 200 years yet. Mm. So again, you have to think about What's the context in which they just said this? Yeah. <laughs> um, we, we can measure global temperatures using ice cores. Okay. Uh, we have different other methods to determine what the overall temperatures were in various parts of the world. And so basically with ice cores, you can measure, there's an isotope of oxygen, I think it's oxygen 18, that will differ significantly depending upon the temperature of the globe. So you can measure the amount of that isotope in ice cores and get a fairly good reading of the temperature and the temperature trends. Hmm. And uh, so we can go back three, four, five, ten thousand years and get fairly accurate readings of temperature. So wow, that's fantastic. Yeah. What does that data tell us? Can you summarize that? Well, uh, I made a presentation on this here at, at the Hope Center on behalf of Probe uh, back in uh, May. And this was the one chart that got most people's attention. Really? What it showed was that going back to about 1500 BC and recording, looking at the temperatures to about the present day, that there have been three previous warm periods in that space of time, and all of them were warmer than it is now. Three warming periods. And none of them the had anything, and humans have nothing to do with that. Yeah, 1500 BC, you said, right? 1500 BC. Again, it was the left side of the chart. Around 1500 BC, we have something that's known as the Minoan Warm Period. You mentioned it earlier, yeah. And that was significantly warmer than it is today. And then that lasted for a couple hundred years, and then it cooled, but then it warmed back up to what's called the Roman Warm Period. So from around 100 BC to AD 100. Then things cooled again after that, and then beginning about AD 700, 800, began to warm up again, and that's called the medieval warm period. Interesting. And then things cooled off again after a couple hundred years. Um, what's really interesting is when you look at this graph and you're looking at it from left to right, the Minoan warm period was warmer than the Roman warm period, which came later. Interesting. And the Roman warm period was warmer than the medieval warm period, which came later. Oh, interesting. And the medieval warm period is warmer was warmer than it is now. Oh, interesting. So what you see, with the, if you just look at the peaks of these warm periods, the trend is downward. You can make the case, based on this record that goes back 3,500 years, that the Earth is actually cooling. Wow. Fascinating. And those extremely warm temperatures during Minoan and Roman warm periods in particular were significantly higher than it was today than it is today. Hmm. Some of them like two to three degrees warmer than it is now. 
globally. I'm talking about degrees Celsius. Yeah, yeah. So that could be anywhere from four to six degrees Fahrenheit yeah. globally. Right. Um, what's also very interesting about that is <laughs> that the Norsemen colonized Greenland during the medieval warm period. Okay. And they were able to grow crops. They had year-round settlements there. Hmm. Now, I'm sure they had to have some things shipped in for them, but they were able to grow their own food and maintain uh, a society, families. Like I said, they, they were able to feed themselves for the most part. I don't know whether or not they're able to raise livestock or not, but they could you know, plant and raise crops. You absolutely can't do that today. It's Probably still too cold in Greenland to do that. something to do with the name. I presume. Yeah, well, they named, they named it Greenland it because it was green. It was green. <laughs> it was green. So that was, they, I think they started colonizing about 1100, A.D. 1100. And then they uh, they had to abandon those settlements by about A.D. 1300. So it just shows you that during that span of about 200 years, there were colonists in Greenland. And they had to abandon it because it got too cold. And you still can't colonize Greenland today. It's still too cold. Yeah. So that okay. tells you that significantly during that medieval warm period, it was significantly warmer than it is today. Yeah, no kidding. Well, we're talking about climate change and the Green New Deal today mm -hmm. on this Head and Heart podcast by Probe Ministries and talking with Dr. Ray Boland, my esteemed colleague of several years, in particular asking the question, does the scientific evidence from climate science, does it, is it consistent with, does it support the Green New Deal? And Dr. Bullen, what I hear you saying emphatically over and over is, is no. No. And we're talking about, is the earth warming? Yes. But what does that mean? We've had a really good conversation in mm -hmm. terms of how much is it warming? How long has it been warming? And what really intrigued me just now was taking a historical perspective. If we look back using mm -hmm. ice cores, um, our best data that we have on what the earth's atmosphere was like mm -hmm. going back thousands of years, 1500 BC, the Minoan period, there was a warming. Mm -hmm. And there's been several warmings yeah. over the sweep of several thousand years. Yeah. Um, and what's interesting about that, we talked about Greenland a second ago, that um, Norsemen, what, back <laughs> in maybe 81,000 were? There? AD 1100. 1100? Yeah. Okay. And as, as far back as then, they were populating it, and clearly it was green. Green, They were, yes. they were planting <laughs> crops, which you cannot do today. No. no. But all of that underscores the fact that this is all pre-industrial. It almost goes without saying. Mm -hmm. All pre-industrial. Yes, so there's no... No human effect. No massive uh, amount of putting CO2 into the atmosphere. No. Through cars, through industry, through business, through... The only way that could happen was by people making fires by burning wood. Or even I didn't think about that. Okay. Even in some parts of the world today, when uh, cattle dung in particular has dried out, it can also be used as a fuel. But... Right. The fumes from that, you have to be really careful with. Is over, that right? over long term, that leads to lung disease and, and all sorts of uh, complications. Well, I didn't know that. Um, but the amount of CO2 produced by basic bonfires <laughs> compared to what a, uh, a factory would produce or a electric generating plant would do today is just, it's minuscule. Oh, man. Yeah. So that was going on for thousands of years, sure. This has been really fascinating. Um, well, Dr. Bowen, we're, we're getting close to, to time here, just in terms of talking about the scientific data that underscores the the Green New Deal. Is there any, are there any other, I hear you saying you called yourself a, a skeptic mm -hmm. of the alarmism. Are there any other lines of evidence or anything else you want to mention that lead you to where you are right now? Well, there's a couple of things. Um, first, we, we just got through talking about Greenland. Yeah. 
And most of the listeners are probably aware that former Vice President Al Gore produced a film in year 2006 called An Inconvenient Truth. Yeah, I saw it. I remember. And it was about the whole issue of global warming and that we're barreling down a, towards catastrophe sort of thing. And he followed that up in 2017 with what's called An Inconvenient Sequel. Now, in the 2017 film, he mentioned Greenland because in, in 2012, there had been a pretty significant melt-off of the glaciers on Greenland. And he focused on that specifically during the film. But the point that others are making is simply that, well, Greenland ice melts every summer. And it melts and, and refreezes. Melt. That's going on all the time. Interesting. In fact, you can chart it, and there's a, an average that you can expect. Okay. And sure enough, 2012 saw a lot more loss of ice than the norm, okay? But <laughs> five years later in 2017, the amount of ice that was lost was far less than normal. And everything that was lost in 2012 was replenished and then some. So that brings up the whole issue of glaciers in general, um, about retreating ice and that sort of thing. Uh, yeah, most glaciers have been retreating. But as they're retreating now, we're seeing some very fascinating evidence that as they retreat back and the land surface is now exposed, we're finding evidence of massive hardwood forests that were used to be in those locations and the date we can date the wood it goes back to sometimes a thousand years old or two thousand years old thousand years old go back to the medieval warm period wow two thousand go back to the roman warm period okay right and what it simply shows is that in previous times the glacier had already retreated far enough and for long enough the mature forest grew up. Wow. Yeah. Then once the cooling occurred, the glacier came and just wiped all that out. Mm -hmm. Well, now it's retreating again. We're saying, well, all by, you know, without any human interference, it's retreated that far and further before. Oh, man. Now, we were talking about Greenland a second ago. The dynamics you're talking about, the evidence that we have. Is that yeah. in Greenland? The evidence I was just talking about with the glaciers, particularly is with the Mendenhall Glacier in Alaska. Oh, okay. Oftentimes, Alaskan cruises will visit the Mendenhall Glacier. Cool. Uh, it's a little more difficult now because it doesn't come right down to the waterfront anymore. It's retreated far enough, uh, but you can still see it. Um, but as it's pulling back, you're seeing the crumpled remnants of mature forests. <laughs> oh, man, that's fascinating. Well, Dr. Bowen, I appreciate you sharing that. Was, did you say there was another dynamic you wanted to talk about? Yeah. When I gave this presentation, like I said, in the Hope Center a couple months ago, um, at, at the very end, I talked about polar bears. Yes, the polar bears. In many respects, especially in Al Gore's 2006 film, he made mm -hmm. a big deal about polar bears. The population is dwindling. Uh, the broken up ice of the, of the Arctic area. Yeah, the ice flows. All sorts of things were, were compromising their ability to fish and feed themselves. And, and Well, I, I had a nice slide of a polar bear cub. And, of course, there's oohs and ahs and all that sort They're of thing. They're so cute. And, uh, <laughs> but what I, I showed a graph that indicated, well, in 1960... The estimate was that we had about maybe five to 15,000 polar bears, okay, across, right. across the Arctic yeah. area. Five to 15,000. But now recently, we've started uh, making more detailed counts year after year, and the number has at least doubled and perhaps tripled since 1960. Wow. 
polar bears are doing just fine. Wow. Al Gore never talked about it in his Inconvenient sequel. He made hmm. a big deal about it in this 2006 film, but completely quiet. Oh, <laughs> because by then, we'd already learned, okay, polar bears are doing just fine. Oh, no man. worries. And there was a group of teenagers that I could see that when I talked about that, the surprise look on their faces was precious. No way. <laughs> because no way, just totally in our schools today, they're getting climate alarmism. Mm. That's all they're hearing. Mm. And so when I say something like that, there were, it was clear and obvious that's not what they expected. <laughs> mm. Yeah, sounds like it. Sounds consistent with what would be taught in public schools today. Yeah. Yep. And listener, uh, if this interests you, this talk that you've been referencing, mm-hmm. Dr. Bolin, is in fact available on the website. Yes, you can go to our website, probe.org. And if, if I were you, I'd enter search terms probe live, P-R-O-B-E-L-I-V-E. And there are, uh, there's only a few of those options, and one of those mm-hmm. is green climate change and the Green New Deal. Yep. So if you want more info on that, you can check that out, certainly. Well, Dr. Bowen, this has been a really informative conversation about the science behind yeah. climate science and the Green New Deal. We're about to wrap. Okay. Uh, I, wanted, I want to do a couple things first, though, and one of which is uh, point our listener to any recommended resources if they want to do further reading or look into this for themselves, because I imagine this is probably new information for them and yeah. probably not easy to find because it's not part of the mainstream narrative. One of the books I, I used uh, a great deal putting together that presentation was a new book that just came out a couple of months ago by Mark Morano, and it's called Green Fraud. Green fraud. And he talks his way through not just the Green New Deal, but he has several chapters about the science of climate change. Mm. And so you, it's primarily about the Green New Deal, but he does, over several chapters, talk about the date of, of climate change. Fascinating. And how do you spell Murano? M-O-R-A-N-O. Green Morano. Super. Uh, very helpful. And Mark is also M-A-R-C, not, not K. Ooh, even better. M-A-R-C. Mark Murano's Green Fraud. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, for a Christian who might be distressed about climate alarmism or maybe just surprised about this new information that we've dropped on them, what are some recommendations you have for them as a believer? Well, be be a bit skeptical when climate change is being talked about. Uh, be wary of when they simply say experts say. Okay. And that sounds like wisdom. They don't general. identify who. They don't identify how this person or these people are identified as experts. What does that really mean? I've come to distrust the, the term almost completely, but it gets the attention of non-science people. Or when people say science says, or follow the science. Yeah. Well, science says nothing. <laughs> Only scientists say things, and scientists all mm. have a worldview. That's good. And That's the people good. who are promoting this climate alarmism are all operating primarily from a naturalistic worldview. And you have to take that into account because they're... From a Christian perspective, um, I see that God would have created uh, this earth with dynamic systems that have ways of counterbalancing anything that gets out of whack. Yeah. And to think that we as puny humans could have that much of an effect to basically destroy most environments on this planet yeah. is giving humans far too much credit. Yeah, there's a hubris there. Yeah. So when I hear you saying to a believer who might be listening and asking, hey, what do I do with this information? I hear you saying, hey, hey just be skeptical mm-hmm. or maybe critical is another yeah. way of thinking. Just yeah. ask questions. What ask do they questions. mean by that? Yeah. Where did they get their data? If you say scientists say this or experts say this, follow up with a who. I mean, if you can in any way possible. And a lot of times you also hear a recent study suggests mm. and they'll give a, a yeah. disastrous outcome. Yeah. Well, 
okay, it suggests, well, that depends on the person who's interpreting the data. Yeah, that's good. And again, the study doesn't suggest. The scientists who did the study are <laughs> suggesting. Okay? And the manipulation can be very, very hard to detect sometimes. Yeah, that's very good. And that that's just one point I wanted to make, which is scientists who come from all kinds of different backgrounds and have their own different beliefs about all kinds of stuff doesn't mean that the the work that they do uh, is incorrect or that the data they're providing is false. Mm-hmm. Rather, and more importantly, it's what they do with the data. Mm-hmm. It's how they interpret the data and it, particularly what they think it means. And right. that's exactly what you were just saying. It, and they the studies also suggest this. What we ought to do as a result of this. Yeah. Scientists are very good at telling us what's happening or what what is the actual data. But they shouldn't be the ones telling us what to do with that information. Hmm. I mean, I talked about that in terms of medical ethics and things like genetic engineering. Well, okay, those people who, they, they can, the scientists in genetic engineering can tell you what can be done, but they're not the ones to tell us what we should do hmm. or what we ought to do. Hmm. So good. Dr. Bolin, uh, what does scripture have to say about this? I mean, what, what's consistent that you see with scripture? Well, we know from the creation account in Genesis 1 that Adam and Eve were given a task, not only did it to be fruitful and multiply, which yeah. we, we've done well. Check. <laughs> and, and secondly, though, to rule over the fish of the sea and, and the creatures of the land and the birds of the air, particularly he's talking about the creatures. And to me, that is a, a recipe to care for God's creation. And the usual word that's used is to give stewardship over it. And one of the comparisons I like to make is if you if you think about the world that God initially created, everybody would say, even God said, not was just good, but at the end of the sixth day, he said it was very good. Mm-hmm. Okay. And if you go back up ahead to the Gospels and Jesus talks about the parable of the talents, to one servant, he gave five talents. That only gave two. The other one, he gave one. Well, the guy with the five made five more. Okay, he, right. he invested it and made five more. The guy who gave two did the same thing. To both of those, he said, "Well done, good and faithful servant." The guy who had just given one indicated when when the master returned. Okay, I was really afraid. You no, know, you, you can be kind of um, difficult to deal with. So yeah. I just took the talent you gave me and I buried it. Right. And then when you came, I went and undid it and I, I brought it to you. Yeah. And, well, he brought the exact same talent, okay, the exact same amount of currency, but he was highly chastised. And what he had was taken away and given the one who had now 10 talents. And what I like to pose to us as believers is if you consider the the earth that we were given at the time of creation, if the Lord returns today and wants to see a return on his investment on the earth— would we have the same talent or would be less? Would we return to him an earth that's been spoiled? Mm. And I would say we probably have. Mm. Not to the degree that many extreme environmentalists would say, but um, there is a cause to, as, as believers, to be concerned about the environment. I think uh, other passages in the Psalms, like Psalm 103, tell us that certain places were made for certain kinds of animals. Mm-hmm. Well, that that's a, a good Biblical foundation for natural preserves, natural mm. national parks, mm-hmm. uh, wildlife refuges, and those places ought to be there if we're going to follow that mandate to 
uh, have rule and dominion and stewardship over God's creation? Hmm. What a great question you posed there, Dr. Boland, in terms of looking at the parable of the talents mm-hmm. and imposing that on mankind as a whole. Yeah. And uh, I think you've put it other times um, as, as if uh, mankind together collectively is at the judgment seat mm-hmm. before Christ. Yeah. And he asks, what did you do with what I gave you? Yeah. How's my earth? What mm-hmm. have you done with it? It's yeah. a great question. Yeah. It's a convicting question. I think it's a good question <laughs> to leave us with. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Bowen, we've been talking about the climate change and the Green New Deal. Mm-hmm. This is part one of the conversation. And next time we'll talk about more of the political aspects, yeah. more of what's involved in the in the Green New Deal. So, listener, you can uh, look forward to that episode dropping sometime soon after this one. Dr. Bowen, I've really enjoyed this conversation. Anything else you want to add? Anything else you want to close with? Just the only thing that... What we hear repeatedly is that all kinds of extreme weather events are increasing in intensity and they're increasing in frequency. None of that is true. Whether you're talking about hurricanes, tornadoes, droughts, heat waves, fires, they're all in either an even trend, no trend whatsoever, or they're in a downward trend. Interesting. So interesting. And then, listener, the point that Dr. Boland just made in terms of severe weather, we have a podcast mm-hmm. on that. We have an episode on that. You can get more information on that if you want to know more about that. Well, I'm glad that you are with us. Probe Ministries exists to help Christians think biblically, to become ambassadors for Christ. And uh, that's what we were hoping you can do. You can always find more information at our website, probe.org. I've enjoyed my time with you, Dr. Boland. Thanks for joining me in studio. My pleasure. Listener, we'll see you next time. Okay. Okay.